Welcome to Coaching Kids Curling, a podcast for youth curling coaches and program organizers. I'm Glenn Gabriel, a certified curling coach who lives in Pickering, Ontario, Canada. My mission is to give you the advice, resources, and inspiration you need to make your program better. In this episode, I want you to put yourself in your curler's shoes and see a practice through your kids' eyes. Every Sunday, before Little Rock's practice starts, I have the same routine. I go around the club, and at certain spots, I tape the sheet assignment page to the wall. This piece of paper tells the kids which sheet they're on that day, and which coaches they're working with. There's one thing that I always remember to do with those assignment sheets. I make sure to post them at the kid's eye level. If you as an adult were to look at them, you would see that they're obviously much lower than all the other signs posted at the club. I started doing it this way when I saw kids straining their necks to look up the signs. I flashed back to when I was a kid. Everything seemed much higher than it needed to be, especially for a kid who was the shortest in his own grade. So now, when I put up signs for my little rocks, I always remember to put them where it's easiest for them to see them, not where it's most convenient for me, the adult, to post them. So, I'm asking you, my fellow coaches, are we meeting the kids where they are? I'm not just talking about making things physically accessible. When we look at our youth curling programs, are we looking at things through our kids' eyes? In this episode, I want to focus on one way we can meet our kids where they are. Let's look at the language we use when we speak to our young curlers. So, what language are kids speaking today? I'm not talking about English or French. And I'm not necessarily talking about the words we use to speak with them. When I use the word language, I'm thinking about something bigger. What sets one age group apart from another age group? Or, what does a specific generation have in common? For example, when we use the terms baby boomers, Gen X, or millennials, certain words, images, and moments immediately come to mind. So what do the young people of this generation have in common? One clue is to look at what's happening in pop culture. How much of an effort are we putting into learning about new trends? I'm recording this episode in June of 2021. Do we know what Fortnite and Minecraft are? Have we watched the latest Disney or Pixar movies? What are the biggest songs on your kids' Spotify playlists? There's a good chance that your kids are interested in something current and popular. And if you're not in that space, you're losing out on a really easy way to start a conversation. Here's an example from my program. Back in 2011, there was a video game popular with kids called Angry Birds. You'd see kids and adults playing it everywhere on their smartphones. I decided to buy a small red Angry Birds stuffy and make it our Little Rock's mascot. 
we even had a contest to name it, and we ended up with Skipper. Not only did that small toy become a cherished member of our Little Rocks family, we even used Angry Birds as a metaphor for hitting rocks. Not a surprise, considering that was the object of the video game. Now, you might be asking, Coach Glenn, I'm old and out of touch. How do I find out what kids are interested in these days? Well, let's start with the obvious. Have you asked them? Here's an idea. Think of one question that you'd like to ask your kids. Like, what's your favorite video game? At one random practice, make it your goal to ask as many kids as possible that one question. Now, if you don't want to do it on the ice, get the kids to fill out a survey before or after practice. You can ask them anything. Ask them about the subjects they love in school, the sports they play other than curling, and the songs they love to hear again and again. Speaking of music, why not let them choose the songs they want to play at warm-up and cool-down? Of course, you have to filter out the ones with an appropriate language. But if they know that their songs are going to be played at practice, don't you think they'll be more likely to contribute Now, what language are we as coaches speaking? Are we using outdated images and metaphors? When I started learning how to curl in the early 2000s, I remember one of my first instructors telling me that my trailing leg should be like a tail feather on a bird. He was an older man, probably in his 60s, but the image he used, a tail feather, was the perfect image for me. I immediately saw a bird in my head and how its tail feather lightly brushed against the ground with little weight on it. In this case, the image of a tail feather conveyed the right idea and I completely understood it. But is that an effective image for kids in 2021? I don't know. It seems a little outdated. Maybe I should replace it with another more current image or metaphor. Another example is when we teach kids how to put a turn on a rock. If you're like me, we've been teaching it with terms like 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and 12 noon to describe the position of the handle. I have to admit, I'm not sure if kids are still being taught how to read the hands on an old school clock. Aren't kids using digital clocks all the time nowadays? And even if they are being taught how to read an old school clock, is there a more modern and effective way to describe the position of a rock's handle? The point here is, we need to stop using images and language and metaphors that don't transmit the message we want our kids to receive. But how do we know they're getting it in the first place? You can't just ask, everyone got that? In the book, Teach Like a Champion, this process is called Checking for Understanding. It's a type of low-pressure, low-stakes, constant questioning to ensure that kids are getting the lesson you're teaching them. For example, you can give the kids a quick one-question quiz on the ice, or you can ask them to repeat something back to you 
in their own words, or get them to show you something with their actions. If they're not learning what you want them to learn, or doing what you want them to do, we need to look at ourselves first. Maybe we're using our language instead of theirs. Why should we even care about this? At one level, we can answer this question from a practical perspective. Do we want our kids to see the same images we want them to see? Do we want them to follow the same instructions we want them to follow? If we give them an instruction like squat down in the hack, is that good enough? Or can we be more specific and say something like sit on your right heel? At another level, I think about an old saying that many top-level coaches have shared with me. One that sounds cliche, but still applies today. Kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If we take the time to learn about what they know and experience daily and ultimately care about, the kids will see that we care about them. We are building those first bridges of trust with our kids. And if they trust us, they're more likely to hear us and give us adults the benefit of the doubt. So, I ask you coaches, are we putting in the effort to learn the language of our kids? Or are we putting up avoidable and unnecessary barriers to reaching them? If you're a supporter of this podcast, I encourage you to follow our Twitter account, which is the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. One more time, the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. I'll also have that Twitter handle listed in today's show notes. This has been the Coaching Kids Curling Podcast. To reach me, Coach Glenn, please email coachingkidscurling at gmail.com. To follow the podcast for free, visit our website, coachingkidscurling.com. You can also find show notes and links to the resources mentioned in this episode and in previous episodes. The intro and outro music is Golden Sunrise by Josh Woodward. Thanks for listening. Good luck and happy Canada Day. <laughs>